What's going on, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend, Ben Greenfield. Ben is a former bodybuilder turned Ironman triathlete and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Beyond Training, Mastering Endurance, Health, and Life. He's also been called one of the most influential people in fitness and has a very popular blog and podcast, which I've had the pleasure of being on not once, but twice. Our most recent episode together is a must-listen. All you got to do to find it is Google Max Lugavere Ben Greenfield. Now, in this episode of the show, you're going to get a detailed account of Ben's entire daily routine, from his morning ritual to how he runs his company, to his nighttime sleep hacks, and even his hotel hacks for when he's traveling. I was interested in getting a comprehensive breakdown of his daily protocol, because while Ben is many things, I think of him mostly as a guinea pig who literally will try any tool at his disposal to improve his health. He weaves his obsessions with technology and nature together into a cutting-edge approach that that isn't for everyone, but certainly keeps him performing at a level that most of us can only aspire to. He is an Ironman triathlete after all. So over the next hour, you're going to discover the potential benefits of red light photobiomodulation, how Ben is able to stay so lean all year round, and also why he thinks this may not be ideal from a longevity standpoint. And you're also going to hear why Ben is currently obsessed with giving himself coffee enemas. I still don't know how I feel about those, but I'm going to leave that to you to decide. Now, as usual, after the show, you can head over to maxlugavere.com, which is my website, for links to any and all of the products, books, or figures that Ben mentions. And while you're there, guys, it would mean the world to me if you'd consider joining my newsletter, which I send out every week or so with the sole intent of improving your life in at least one way. I write it myself, and if you guys are not deriving real value from my newsletter, you can opt out at any time. Again, the sign-up form for my newsletter and the show notes to this podcast with Ben Greenfield are all to be found at maxlugavere.com. Now, guys, if you enjoy this show, please do me a solid and share it on social media. Nothing gathers a crowd like a crowd, and by spreading the word about this podcast and by telling your friends that you're really digging it, well, they're going to be more inclined to tune in. In an era where annoying political news seems to catch on like wildfire on our social news feeds, why not offer a refreshing alternative like spreading the word about the genius life? I'd really appreciate that, and it's going to help me to put out quality episodes week after week. Get your friends to subscribe and hit that subscribe button yourself if you haven't already. All right, well, that's enough from me for now. I'm excited to get on with the show. So please welcome my good friend, Ben Greenfield. What up, Mr. Greenfield? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I just had a lovely, lovely glass of celery juice for breakfast. Why do you drink celery juice? What's the purpose? I'm doing uh, a cleanse. I'm uh, doing a a little bit of a, a liver cleanse right now, which involves drinking celery juice with malolactic acid, which is like apple cider uh, extract added to it, but it's apple cider in powdered form. So I don't have to consume as much sugar. And then I do a coffee enema each morning and I drink this, this giant tablespoon of Epsom salts in the evening. And then I am simply avoiding alcohol, caffeine, uh, red meat, um, primarily eating things like split mung beans, taking a lot of glutathione, uh, consuming a lot of kind of alkalizing vegetables and, uh, small amounts of amino acids. So I don't kind of catabolize muscle during the week, but I, I ran a blood panel last week. I do a quarterly blood panel and uh-huh. my, my panel was relatively flawless, uh, aside from extremely elevated, liver enzymes and I'm not a lush, you know, it's not like I, I have a few martinis a night, but 
you know, I have a, have a glass of wine every night. I work out pretty hard. I was preparing for Spartan world championships when I did the test. So I'm sure there was some, some muscle damage contributing to elevated liver enzymes. And, uh, I certainly eat a fair deal of red meat. I'm a big fan of my, my big French cut bone in ribeyes a few times a week. I certainly do start off each day with an enormous cup of coffee and sometimes have another in the mid morning. And so I thought, well, you know, what the heck, even though there's not a ton of science behind, let's say, you know, what's something else I've been doing, like castor oil packs on the liver gallbladder area as I'm going to bed at night. There is there is some evidence that, for example, a coffee enema could increase peristalsis. I haven't seen much research on its ability to be able to, for example, you know, people say it would increase um, activation of some of the glutathione pathways in the liver or that it could cause the gallbladder to dump a bit of extra bile into the system. And I haven't seen much research on that either. But what I what I can tell you is that I am going into Quest Labs on Tuesday after doing this for a week to retest, and I am really not discontinuing my exercise program, right? So, so I'm not getting rid of that variable. Um, essentially, all I'm doing is omitting some of the foods that. Uh, one is typically recommended to omit on some of these like Ayurvedic cleansing protocols because that's really what I'm doing. It's kind of a form of what's a there's a there's a form of Ayurvedic medicine detoxification called panchakarma, and the 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 ancient form of panchakarma involves some some horrible practices like like purging via via the vomit and um and, and there are there are you know some some pretty intense colonics and things like that and i'm not really going that route i'm kind of using a, a modern relatively sane and comfortable version of it that doesn't involve me uh kneeling to the porcelain god but <laughs> it, anyway so i'm so i'm doing all this stuff and then i'll retest at the end of the week and just kind of kind of see what the liver feels like see how my digestion feels um you know test wow. liver enzymes i'll probably test uh ggt which is a test of uh, gallbladder uh, function and uh, just general general inflammatory markers to see if those drop or become elevated so so we'll see so it's been an interesting week tell me about the coffee enemas because i mean uh, the last time we hung out at mind body greens revitalize event in arizona you were telling me that this was sort of like a once a week thing for you i think you called it me time and now you've escalated them to <laughs> every every morning is that is that your current protocol? Yeah, currently I am indeed doing them uh, every day. And the protocol involves a stainless steel enema bucket because <laughs> the idea is you don't want to be shoving plastics up your backside. And <laughs> you make coffee, like I use a really good uh, organic coffee, and you lube the enema tube up with a little bit of coconut oil, which I know you're a huge fan of. So, of course, I, I knew you <laughs> approve of this protocol. And you, uh, you insert the enema tube after preparing the coffee and ensuring that the coffee is, of course, not uh, as hot as it would be if you were to drink it because that could spell disaster pants and a, a burnt large intestine. Which I don't literally, want. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't want to fry my anus. So it's <laughs> it's about room temp, and you you do about you know I, I do right around thirty ounces or so of coffee, and then you you lay on your left side, and it seems to help quite a bit with uh, the 
the the the defecation process afterwards if you kind of massage your colon you know from the transverse colon on down to the descending colon then across and then down towards the rectum just on on your stomach and then after 20 minutes you stand up and you use the restroom and i can say that, that you feel clean as a whistle afterwards and i've had incredible energy levels um you know, no, nothing in terms of, of constipation. It's the only bowel movement I take during the day and you just kind of, kind of purge everything. And, uh, you know, it definitely increases peristalsis. Like I feel as though my digestion is just rock solid all day long, you know, but then again, I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm not really consuming much aside from these very simple kind of vegetable and lentil based meals, uh, made up of something called kichari, which is part of this Ayurvedic cleansing protocol. Kachari is basically just split mung beans that I, that I soak for about 24 hours. And then I, I cook those in a pot for about an hour with ginger and turmeric, uh, coriander, curcumin, fennel, fenugreek, uh, a little bit of sea salt, a little bit of black pepper. Uh, and then you, you simply eat that and that's, that's your, that's your meal. And, uh, a wow. few times, a few times because fish is not necessarily, you know, forbidden on this type of protocol, just like poultry and red meat. I'll do a, uh, like a, a can of the wild planet anchovies kind of on top of that. And it's actually, it's, it's, it's pretty tasty that and a little bit of uh, fermented coconut yogurt. So I'm still getting a, a little bit of uh, fuel for my microbiome. And honestly, it tastes pretty good with the coconut yogurt and the anchovies on top of that, you know, kind of spicy blend of lentils. Sounds delicious. Yeah, I saw I saw that dish on your Instagram, and I was like, my mouth was watering just looking at it. So, yeah, uh, you've got some you've got some skills in the kitchen. Yeah, well, to do that, and then just drink the big glass of uh, of celery juice um, along with each meal. And honestly, Man. it's it's pretty tasty. If if anything, I've got really good energy levels, and it just feels like everything's burning super clean. I was under the impression that coffee enemas you had to use the actual coffee grounds. Are you using just the co brewed coffee, or are you like using the whole? You know, the no. grounds and everything. No, I mean, tip from the trenches, what happens if you use the grounds, as I've seen some folks recommend in protocols, I, I don't know if they're actually doing the enemas because the coffee grounds, um, they, they get stuck in the actual tube, right? Huh, you know, yeah. They, they, you can't actually uh, get the, the coffee through the tube because the tube is so small in diameter in order to, to right. fit into your rectum, you know, the grounds kind of clog up the tube. So I just make yeah. a really, really smooth ground free blend of organic coffee, uh, and, and use that instead. So in inquiring minds want to know, is it, is it bulletproof coffee that you put up there or is it just regular, regular coffee? Cause I know that you're a fan of, of bulletproof. You mean like blending the coffee with butter and oil and stuff like that or using the actual <laughs> yeah. bulletproof brand coffee? No, no, no. Blending it up in the in the recipe. We yeah. No. I'm I, being I, I'm I'm joking, but I, I'm sure I, I can't think I, I can't think I, I suppose the butyric acid could potentially be beneficial for the gut flora. I mean, I could I could see there potentially being some utility to that, but uh, no, I, you know, it's, it's enough of a hot mess as it is. I don't want to throw gre <laughs> grease into the mixture as well. Makes sense. I have to admit, I love your dedication to the art and science of biohacking. You, I, I, I always learn something new whenever we get together and hang out or even chat over a podcast or what have you. And so what you're currently doing is just like, it's amazing, but 
Can you tell me a little bit about just your your average daily routine? Because you know, some things that I know about you, you always run very lean. You, you know, I don't know what your body fat percentage is, but you're in amazing shape. And then you also have Wolverine-like healing abilities. I mean, I feel like you've had a number of injuries since we became friends and you're always back on your feet within no time. So what is, I mean, what is your daily routine like starting with your morning, your average morning ritual? Sure. Or maybe I don't have Wolverine healing abilities as much as I'm just a klutz and frequently injuring myself. My body's learned to just heal faster. Uh, So first of all, one other thing before I fill you in my morning routine is, yeah, I do stay pretty lean year round, but that's primarily because I'm a pro athlete and I'm still racing. And for me to be able to, you know, haul my ass up a steep hill on a bicycle or for me to be able to like run up a ski slope during a Spartan race, it's just the power to weight ratio consideration. And I don't necessarily think that my body fat is currently at an ideal body fat for say fertility or longevity. Uh, Hmm. since, since stopping Ironman triathlon and beginning to do a lot of the things that I've written about on my site regarding testosterone hacks, I mean, everything as simple as higher zinc intake to, you know, photo biomodulation on my balls, my testosterone, my last panel, my testosterone had climbed from 300 up to 891 and it's still going up. And I think part of that is because I have put on a little bit of body fat and halted the chronic cardio, but I still think that, you know, I, I maintain about five to 6% body fat. I still think that just from a fertility and a longevity standpoint, you don't have to be that lean. Um, you know, the, the other part of it is admittedly being in the health and fitness sector and still kind of finding myself in situations where I'm uh, ripping off my shirt for, for a magazine spread or, you know, doing a video in which I'm, I'm posing and showing off moves. You're still kind of judged by your six pack or your, you know, how many veins you have in your abs these days. And so some of it is me just basically playing the game, right? Like staying lean because in in some cases we're still kind of judged by our appearance in, in the physical culture realm and, you know, having a, having a muffin top seems to kind of take away from some of your credibility. So staying lean is, you know, indirectly feeding my family is strange as that sounds. It just kind of contributes to, to success in the, in the fitness realm. So it makes sense. Anyways, though, what really the the number one thing I do from a from a body fat percentage standpoint, and this is probably a good segue into the morning routine, is I do a, a small amount of cardiovascular exercise prior to breakfast each morning. I delay breakfast. Typically, I delay breakfast until around at least nine thirty, and typically closer to ten or ten thirty. You know, and you probably saw that interesting study in which the only modification that they made to folks' diet was they delayed breakfast by 90 minutes and then uh, brought dinner back by 90 minutes, right? Forcing the study participants into a more compressed feeding window. And they found a very significant decrease in or, or improvement of body composition, decrease in body fat percentage from that simple switch. So, I think that that delaying breakfast and even uh, there, there's actually a really good book about this called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, developing the, the habit just from a circadian rhythmicity standpoint of some type of movement before breakfast uh, seems to not only be beneficial for fat loss, but also for sleep later on in the day. 
So for me, it's an excuse to get out into the sunshine. I'm in a fasted state, so I've already burnt through most of my liver glycogen during the overnight rest, and I'm tapping into fatty acids as a fuel. And that, that's completely fasted. You know, I don't even do you know, we were talking about fat in the coffee. I don't do any fat in the coffee or anything. I do have a cup of coffee beforehand because that can help to mobilize fatty acids. Uh, But if I were to put fats into that, it would not cause an insulinogenic response. However, I would still need to burn those fats as a fuel before I could tap into my own body fat. So, so that's why I, I go in fasted with just a cup of coffee. And when I talk about exercise, it's nothing stressful. The body already has a natural kind of hypercortisolic response in the morning anyways to wake you up. And I'm not a firm believer in dumping a bunch of cortisol on top of that with a CrossFit wad. And furthermore, I think, you know, for me personally, two things happen psychologically when you do a hard workout in the morning that I find in folks. You tend to calorically hypercompensate later on throughout the day. Uh, you, you simply eat more food because you're hungrier. You've you've tapped out a lot of glycogen stores. And you also tend to be more sedentary during the day because, heck, you've gotten your, your hard thing done with early in the morning. So why not, you know, ignore that Pomodoro break on your computer to stand up and stretch and maybe do some jumping jacks because, you know, you're exhausted from all those squats you did that morning. So... Uh, I save any hard workout for the afternoon or the early evening when your body temperature peaks, when your reaction time peaks, when your uh, post-workout protein synthesis peaks. And there's even some research showing that a hard workout about three to four hours prior to dinner and also research showing that easy exercise early in the day both enhance deep sleep percentages when you do go to sleep at night. So it's a really beautiful scenario to do something easy in the morning in a fasted state and then save your hard workout for the afternoon or the early evening and finish that hard workout up at least three hours prior to bedtime. Meaning you'd finish, let's say for a 10.30 p.m. bedtime, finish your your evening workout by 7.30 p.m. So I, I do this uh, walk in the sunshine or an easy swim or a little bike ride, you know, around the, the plains back behind my house or a little hike. And, and it really is pretty brief. It's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, hmm. And then I always finish with about two to five minutes of cold. So that can be a cold shower. It can be, you know, I've got a cold pool out in the forest back behind my house. So I'll go jump in that sometimes. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, if I'm on a, on a bike ride, the river's only two miles from my house. So I can ride to the river and, you know, jump in the river, tread water for a little while, and then, you know, ride my bike back home. But there's always an element of fasted cardiovascular exercise and cold. And that's how I start off each day from a movement standpoint. Um, prior to that, the only kind of daily musts for me are that I, I lay in bed for about five to 10 minutes each morning and read something uplifting or devotional or spiritual. And then I do some gratitude journaling in which I write down what I'm grateful for. I write down one person that I could pray for or help or serve that day. And then so that I read more mindfully when I do read in the morning, one truth that I discovered in that morning's reading. So 
I, I I do all of that and then and then I get out of bed and you know I have my cup of coffee and you know visit with my kids for a little while before they're off to school and then um you know you use the restroom uh you know if it's a Wednesday that that's that coffee enema you alluded to but most mornings it's just the uh just the squatty potty and uh and uh and a little bit of a, a bathroom break and then I go out and do, do that fasted exercise session um do the cold and then I'll typically have, like I mentioned, sometime between about 9.30 and 10.30, uh, some kind of a breakfast. And my breakfast that I described to you earlier, that kachari, that's very abnormal for me. Usually my breakfast consists of during the spring and summer when our garden is flourishing, I just wander out to the garden and grab a variety of, of plants like bok choy or Swiss chard or kale, um, cilantro, parsley, some herbs from the garden as well. Uh, I walk back from the garden through the forest and I usually kind of force myself to choose like one wild plant, like whether it's wild nettle or wild mint or, you know, a little bit of organ grapefruit or, you know, just something that I can kind of throw into the morning smoothie that, that presents my body with that mild hormetic stressor of a, of a wild versus a domesticated plant. And I just blend up, you know, a wide variety of plant matter with, honestly, dude, whatever else I feel like throwing in there, right? So some mornings it's like bone broth and stevia and a little bit of coconut oil. Uh, some mornings it's uh, coconut milk and, um, you know, what would be another example, like a coconut manna, you know, some something kind of fatty to give it the, the plants like a nice creamy texture and usually just, just like a good organic stevia for sweetness. Uh, and after I blend it up, I usually sprinkle things on top. I like cacao nibs. I like coconut flakes. Um, I uh, I like very small kind of bitter, less sweet berries uh, like uh, uh, an elderberry or a bilberry or even a goji berry. You know, something pretty small that isn't going to have an impact on the glycemic index much, but gives me a little bit of kind of flavor and crunch and chew when I'm eating my smoothie. And I literally do eat my smoothie with a spoon. Like I don't drink it. I eat it with a spoon. So it takes me a long time to get through. And typically I'm just kind of going through a little bit of the morning's duties, you know, like emails and research and blog posts and talking to it with, with my team. You know, we do, we do a morning huddle each morning. We all get on a call and just talk about the tasks for the day, et cetera. Cause I have a, um, I have a health supplements and health coaching company. And so we've got a, a kind of robust team of folks who run everything from marketing to formulation to customer support, et cetera, for that. So we have a morning call. And a lot of times I'm, you know, I've got green smoothie all over my face and I'm picking, you know, whatever spirulina. That's another thing that I'll, that'll sometimes sprinkle on top of the smoothie is spirulina or chlorella, you know, kind of these so-called superfoods. Um, and then, uh, and then I kind of delve into, I, I, you know, I like Cal Newport's philosophy of deep work, right? You can, most humans can handle about four to five hours of deep work each day. So after, after that call, after the smoothie is done, I venture down into my office and I'm either writing or podcasting or consulting or reviewing blood work of clients or, um, uh, really that's primarily what I'm doing. You know, I'm either writing, podcasting, uh, or consulting, for about four to five hours. And I just kind of lock myself away. I take, you know, like right now I'm walking on my treadmill. So I walk a lot on the treadmill while I'm doing that. Or I have these, uh, you know, I mentioned like for my testosterone, I, I use photobiomodulation. So I've got infrared lights in my office. And at some point I'll usually turn those on and do a little infrared light session while I'm working. I've got all manner you, of different. 
Go ahead. Are you do, are you doing all this naked? Like are you uh, like right now? Are you uh, walking on no. the treadmill in front of the in front of the red light or or what? No, no. I mean, red light exposure. Uh, it uh, it it. I'm trying to get that image out of my mind now. Of me walking naked on the treadmill while I'm talking to you because <laughs> uh, I'm not. Uh, you're just gonna have to take me at my word. I'm wearing pants. Uh, <laughs> The photobiomodulation, the idea is that uh, certain infrared wavelengths, about 600 to 800 nanometers, those can activate uh, cytochrome C oxidase and mitochondria. So they make like photobiomodulation headsets for people with Alzheimer's or dementia. There's a company called Violite that's done some interesting research on that for uh, improving cognitive function. And I actually own one of those units and, and I'll wear that sometimes. And, um, that when the testicles are exposed to those same wavelengths of light, you get an increase in Leydig cell activity, specifically mitochondrial activity in the Leydig cells and the testes. So you increase sperm cell production and testosterone, but really you only need about 10 to 20 minutes of exposure per day. And you could, you could make an argument, actually, a pretty good one, that excess exposure to photobiomodulation would cause increased free radicals from too much cellular activity. And so I, I limit myself to about 10 to 20 minutes of that or about you know, even that headset. I only use that for 20 to 30 minutes uh, uh, you know, every other day or every two to three days or so. So more is not better. Hence, that's why I don't walk on my treadmill naked with lights on my balls all day long. But there is usually a break at some point or there. It's good for collagen uh, over the thyroid gland of the neck. There's an increase in thyroid activity. Um, there's a variety of benefits to it. So I just have a kind of a full body panel made by this company, Juve. One's in front of me, one's behind me, and I'll, I'll flip those on. And, you know, I have other little things I'll do during the day of work. Like I have a, a nebulizing oil diffuser and I'll use essential oils that have been shown to improve cognitive performance or focus like rosemary or cinnamon or peppermint. Um, in the in terms of, of nootropics that I use during a day of work, honestly, I, I keep it pretty plain Jane these days. You know, I kind of got in that whole like microdosing with LSD, microdosing with psilocybin, um, you know, using methylene blue, you know, experimenting with things like modafinil or um, or some others, you know, qualia, siltep, alpha brain. I'm pretty, you know, qualia is probably something I use. I would say about two to three days out of the week max. Um, I rarely do much microdosing anymore with psychedelics or anything like that. The main reason being that I just get concerned about the constant flooding of the synaptic cleft with dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine. And that's the mechanism of action of a lot of these smart drugs uh, or psychedelics. And hence, you need higher and higher amounts of, say, dopamine. You develop some amounts of dopamine insensitivity when you're not on them, you know, things become less pleasurable because you're less sensitive to dopamine, you know, anything from sex to food, you know, you, you almost feel as you're not as responsive to. So I, I've tried to wean myself off of many of these nootropics. And like I mentioned, I'll use qualia on more cognitively demanding days. So that's just like two or three days of the week. And most of the time right now, I, uh, I chew on a little nicotine gum or I use a nicotine toothpick and uh, I'll, I'll have like a little bit of green tea or a little bit of coffee, uh, throughout the day. And that's, that's really all I kind of do in the, in the realm of nootropics. You know, it's kind of, kind of like the old schooly writer tactic of a, you know, a cup of Joe and a cigarette, you know, but for me, it's a cup of organic coffee and a nicotine toothpick and it works pretty well. You know, nicotine only stays in your system 
for you know as, as far as the actual wakefulness effects one or two hours so it's not like you're jittery all day you can't sleep at night and honestly it's a very inexpensive kind of cognitive hack as well so i do that and um what else do i do while i'm in here working during the day i i use uh currently biological led made by a company called lighting science it simply concentrates blue light on the body during the day of work however I recently did a building biology analysis of my home, and it turns out a lot of these LEDs, even though they don't produce a lot of uh, dirty electricity, uh, like a, um, like a fluorescent light would, uh, what they do is they produce a lot of flicker, and that can be irritating to the retina and can also be disruptive to circadian rhythm. So I'm currently replacing all of them with incandescent bulbs, which are a little bit closer to the spectrum of sunlight. So for a very long time, I was a fan of these biological LEDs and even in my bedroom have the, the form of biological LED that, that is absent of blue light, but it's primarily focused on red light. And I'm replacing all of those too, with just like cheapo old school red incandescent bulbs. So I'm pretty much kind of, kind of replacing based on my, my research of what produces the least amount of dirty electricity combined with the least amount of retinal irritation and incandescent is really the best. The only complaint about those is that they're a little bit of an energy hog, but I'm willing, I'm willing to pay that extra, whatever it comes out to, you know, 75, 80 bucks a month for really, really good natural lighting in the home. So, uh, so that's what I do as far as my, my light while I'm working. And then, you know, I've got a really good HEPA air filter in here and, uh, I've got a little a hydrogen-rich water generator that I drink my water from during the morning when I'm locked away in my office for those four or five hours. Hydrogen-rich water is very interesting. It's uh, it's kind of like a selective antioxidant, similar to green tea polyphenols. It influences the um, the NERF two pathway to decrease inflammation, but it uh, doesn't blunt the hormetic response to exercise, which is important for me because, you know, like high dose of a lot of antioxidants like synthetic vitamin C or vitamin E, a lot of them decrease things like satellite cell proliferation or mitochondrial uh, density uh, that you would want to be built post-exercise. But this hydrogen-rich water allows me to have a little bit of a, uh, a shutdown of, of free radicals, or at least a, uh, a decrease in, in free radicals and a decrease in inflammation, uh, just from water. So it's very interesting. The molecular hydrogen foundation has some really interesting research on hydrogen. So now, that's when it comes my to hydrogen, hydrogen water. Are you using the, the tablets, like the effervescent tablets that you put in water? Do you have one of those? Cause I've seen there are now these water filters that are being installed in yeah. people's homes. Yeah, I, well, I, when I travel, I use the tablets, but at home, I actually have one of these filters. Wow. So, so yeah. A couple other th- little things people might be interested that I use during the day. One is uh, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. I like it because uh, PEMF, when placed on or near the body, can be used for brainwave entrainment, meaning that you can set it at like a 10 hertz frequency for alpha brainwave production, or if you were going to bring one to your bed at night and sleep. You could set it more of a three Hertz frequency. Uh, you can get a decrease in inflammation and an increase in blood flow with more of a hundred Hertz frequency. So if I've got a little injury, I'm nursing, I can place a device on that, but I've got a, I've got a variety of PMF devices that I'm usually, you know, if I'm not walking on my treadmill, uh, I'll have attached to like an injury. I might be nursing or, 
Uh, sometimes I'll just have it running during the day, like sitting on my desk or near the back of my head. And uh, a few of the devices I like for that, there's one called the Flex Pulse. Uh, that has about six different settings for three hertz all the way up to a thousand hertz. A thousand hertz is more indicated for things like depression. That's not something I use much, but I'll use like three hertz all the way up to a hundred hertz. There's another one. It's less user friendly, but it it works even better in my opinion because it was developed by the guy who did most of the PEMF research for NASA. Uh, which gives it instant credibility, of course. Anytime you say NASA, something's automatically <laughs> credible. Na- NASA or the Russians or the Japanese. Um, or DARPA. Yeah. Or DARPA. DARPA is another good one. Yeah, DARPA. Uh, anyways, though, so he developed this for NASA. And originally, the research on it was to increase stem cell production, which is actually very good for, especially when you use one of these in the long bones of the femur, uh, where where a lot of stem cell production can take place in the, in the marrow there in the long bone. But I just use it for uh, for for some of the things I talked about earlier, like uh, inflammation or alpha brainwave production or sleep. Uh, but but the one that's less user friendly, but that was developed by this guy is called the ICES, ICES. So I have the unit called the M1, and I also like both the Flex Pulse and the ICES M1 because they can fit into my travel bag, and I can take them when I travel. And then I have a larger unit called the Pulse Centers. That's like a huge PEMF like bed with a bunch of cables and coils coming out of it. And you can kind of use that for like a full body treatment. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of working hard, but also kind of using some of these tools during the day of work to just either. And you talked about healing like Wolverine, for example. You know, it's, it's these little things that I do to myself while I'm still allowing myself to be productive that I think do make a big difference in how quickly the body heals. You know, admittedly I've done some stem cell procedures as well. And I think that those certainly help having, having availability of your own stem cells to be able to inject into an area that's been injured or to be able to even IV systemically into the body because they're so good at uh, migrating to areas where you need repair uh, where you need tissue repair, for example, and accelerating healing in those areas. So, you know, I, I do quite a bit with stem cells as well and have my stem cells banked by the U.S. Stem Cell Clinic in Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I can just have those shipped to me for stem cell protocols when I need them. So, you know, like the last time you saw me down in Austin when I got in that bike accident and had a concussion, I actually injected myself with mannitol, which is a sugar alcohol that increases the permeability of the blood brain barrier. And then immediately after I gave myself an IV stem cell and the stem cells actually can migrate into neural tissue at that point and assist with repair of something like a, you know, a concussion or TBI symptoms. So very I, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stem cells are, are, are very cool. I also did what's called a full body stem cell makeover down in Utah where I went under sedation for about five hours and they just injected every joint, you know, the entire musculoskeletal system all up and down the spine. Uh, they did also like a sexual procedure. So they did my genitals, uh, cosmetic procedure. They did my face and that, that protocol after about two to three months after, like I have to be careful because you know, I, I, I recover so quickly now from workouts after having had that protocol done, I can almost overtrain and beat myself up because I, I wake up in the morning and I'm just ready and raring to go because my musculoskeletal system recovers so rapidly now 
of course, and a lot of people don't realize this, you know, they'll think their DOMS has subsided and they're not sore anymore. So they should go work out. But a lot of times your nervous system hasn't caught up and that's a fast track to overtraining or depleting yourself. So I, I always keep an eye on what's called heart rate variability or HRV, which is a good measurement of your nervous system robustness. So if my HRV is, is really low, but I'm not sore, I don't train hard that day, right? I'll still, I'll go out and do a yoga session or a swim or a bike ride or a sauna or something like that. But I, I pay attention to HRV and that's even more important for me now after having done that stem cell protocol, because I, I literally like recover and bounce back so much more quickly after that protocol. How do you measure your HRV? Two ways. I will use the Aura Ring, which does about 12 measurements during the night, uh, about five-minute measurements during the night. Uh, and then the only thing that that does not do is it does, it'll tell you your HRV, but it doesn't indicate whether a high or a low HRV, you know, higher is typically better unless you're purposefully trying to keep it low for a little while because you're trying to, um, you're periodizing, you're trying to train hard and then get yourself into a hole and then recover really well, super compensate and come back even more fit, right? That'd be one of the only reasons you'd want to kind of push through a low HRV is if you planned on a really intensive recovery period afterwards. Uh, but whether it's high or whether it's low, what that ring does not tell you is whether the higher the low score is heavily influenced by the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, when you look at HRV, there is a value called low frequency score, and the low frequency score is indicative of your sympathetic nervous system strength, whereas the high frequency score is indicative of your parasympathetic nervous system strength. And so if you have a low HRV and you wake up, but your HF, the marker of your parasympathetic nervous system, is really high, that indicates that your aerobic system is, is pretty robust and you could go out and do a bike ride or a hike or something like that and not risk kind of forcing that, that HRV too low. And similarly, if your high frequency is really low, indicating your parasympathetic nervous system might be overtrained or exhausted, but your LF is really high, indicating that your sympathetic nervous system is kind of good to go and you could go to a weightlifting session or a brief high-intensity interval training session or a heavy weightlifting session, you could make that choice for the day. So what I use to break that down is there's an app called Nature Beat. And what Nature Beat does is it'll still give you your HRV, but then it also breaks down sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And it also generates a rough EKG. So you can even look for cardiac abnormalities or paraventricular contractions or heart electrical abnormalities, if that's something that you kind of want to keep your finger on the pulse of. So uh, that one requires you to wear a heart rate chest strap, you know, like a, a Bluetooth enabled heart rates chest strap. And that, that sends the message from the heart over to the app when you pull it up. So, um, anyways, we rabbit hold a little bit, but ultimately I, I, I finish up those four to five hours of work. And at that point I go up, usually I go for a little walk. My mail is about a quarter mile down the road. So sometimes I'll walk and get the mail down the driveway. Um, sometimes I'll take a stroll outside. I have little trail cams around the property to watch wildlife. So I'll go kind of see, see what kind of things I've caught on the cameras and, you know, just, just kind of get some fresh air and some sunshine. And then I'll go inside. And, uh, a lot of times when I'm getting my fresh air and my sunshine, I'll go pick more vegetables from the garden or get some more plants. And I come back in and I take out the knife and do a lot of chopping and I make myself a nice big bed of vegetables. 
uh, typically put like a can of sardines or anchovies on top of that. Sometimes some, some walnuts or some, some baru nuts or, you know, like some sesame seeds or hemp seeds or, you know, whatever, some, some good, good parent essential oils from, from a variety of seeds and nuts, a big variety of plant matter, my omega threes from some sardines or some anchovies. Uh, and sometimes I'll throw little goodies in there. Like I'll, you know, slice up a tomato covered in sea salt and a really good olive oil, or, uh, I'll, I'll use like a nori seaweed wrap and wrap up my vegetables, like a, you know, like a sushi hand roll and eat them that way. Uh, but usually a pretty plant rich, moderate fat, moderate protein, uh, low carbohydrate salad for lunch. And, uh, after that, I'll, I'll have a cup of tea. I like reishi tea. It kind of calms you down and I slip upstairs and take a quick post-lunch siesta. Um, I have what's called a biomat, which is a mat that produces uh, heat. Uh, and it also is lined with, and I know this sounds a little bit woo-woo, but you've, you've probably seen like Himalayan salt lamps uh, yeah. or neg- negative ion generators, or even heard about crystals like tourmaline crystals or amethyst crystals. And the idea is that these are very similar to what you'd experience if you were to like walk outside barefoot on the ground. You get kind of like this earthing or grounding effect and you feel really good. Uh, when, when you're exposed to those type of natural uh, forms of geology, these, these rocks, they purportedly also create what are called negative ions, which help to restore the electrochemical balance across your cell membranes. And I don't know if that's true, but all I know is I sleep like a freaking baby on this thing. So I, not for a full night of sleep, it's too hard. You know, it's got those crystals in it. So if you try to sleep on it all night, you wake up, it's just too, it's too firm. But for a nap, it's, it's perfect because it gets all warm and you curl up on it. And I, I still train pretty hard. So I pull on these boots that are called Normatec boots and they basically massage my legs the whole time that I'm laying there taking my quick nap. And man, I wake up, my legs are light as a feather. My body's all warm. Uh, I, I feel like totally rejuvenated and I'm ready to just tackle the rest of the day. It almost gives me two days rather than having to push through, you know, like from 3 PM on with a little bit of brain fog and a little bit of fatigue, but you kind of push through it anyway and suck down a cup of coffee. Like when I take that quick nap, I just, I feel unstoppable the rest of the day up until bedtime. So I do that nap, uh, wake up and typically I'll get, my kids get home from school around four. And so I like to be present for them when they arrive home from school. So usually I'm up from my nap around three and that gives me enough time to get some things done, like put out some email fires or make phone calls or kind of do that more, you know, what I would call reactive work. You know, I'm kind of done with the deep work, but I'll kind of put out fires, take care of things. Then when the kids get home, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in a, a parent's role as an educator kind of beginning the moment that your kids walk in the door from school, meaning that school is really good for teaching your child to be a good factory worker, to play well with others, to cooperate in a team environment. I like all those aspects of school. You know, I think that some kids who are completely homeschooled or unschooled can sometimes miss out on those aspects and grow up with too much of a lone wolf type of mentality. Uh, and then I also really like the idea of outsourcing the things that I suck at or that I'm just, I haven't made a concerted effort to get good at to someone else. So like Spanish, you know, or is, is one class that my kids take at school that they have a really good instructor for that, that I would probably not be as good an instructor for, or, um, 
you know, they they do uh, they have a really good robotics programming course at the school as well as an international studies program and you know my boys are 10 but they're already doing things you know like like making robots and learning spanish and they've got a really great music program where they bring in these instruments from all over the world like these amazing african drums and the kids learn how to play those and you know these are all things that that i can't uh, well, it's not that I can't. I just don't have the, the time to to teach these things to my children. But when they get home, I mean, I can teach them the things that that I find great value in that I'm kind of doing anyway. So when they get home, we do uh, meditation. You know, I, I'm taking them through a full coursework on manifestation and meditation right now. Something called the Master Key Program by uh, Charles Hanel. Um, we do a lot of like bow shooting, plant foraging, uh, hiking, uh, like we do some wilderness survival stuff. We, we wrestle. So we, you know, we just do things that they're not getting at school. And then, uh, you know, a lot of times they're off and they're going to piano or jujitsu or tennis and kind of off doing their extracurriculars as well. And, um, typically once, once kind of that time with the kids is over, I squeeze in a quick, 40 to 60 minute workout. And that's when I do, like I mentioned earlier, kind of the higher intensity workout of the day. Usually it's, you know, I've built an obstacle course outside my home. So it's, you know, like hauling sandbags and climbing ropes and swinging kettlebells or, you know, I've got a downstairs basement gym. So sometimes I'm just down there doing, you know, barbell complexes or, you know, hitting the air assault bike or whatever the case may be. You know, most of my workouts are kind of uh, hybrid strength endurance workouts. Cause that's what I compete in, right? You, you run fast, you carry something heavy, you swing from something, you pull yourself up and over a wall, and then you kind of rinse, wash and repeat and do it again. So, you know, typically I'm working out two to three times a week with something similar to that. When I travel, I don't do that. When I travel, I do, you know, more like that workout that we did at the gym where I'll just choose like five machines and do a super slow lifting protocol and five different machines, just because when I travel, you know, I, I don't freaking want to climb ropes and swing kettlebells. I'm usually at some kind of a conference. There's a lot of decision-making fatigue. I'm lower on sleep. I just like, I kind of go for the lower hanging fruit that I know gives me the minimum effective dose of exercise when I travel. But when I'm at home, when I'm at home, I mix things up quite a bit. So do my workout. And then, uh, I slip back down into my office typically for about 45 to 60 minutes prior to dinner. We eat dinner late because with all the family kind of spread to the four corners of the planet after school, um, I, I, I think that the benefits of having the ability to sit down as a family at the end of the day, catch up with each other, have a family dinner together, hang out together, uh, get to know each other, learn about each other's days, et cetera. Um, I think the benefits of that outweigh the cons of, you know, what they say about a late evening meal kind of disrupting circadian rhythmicity a little bit, or perhaps even kind of knocking you out of that compressed feeding window that we know to be healthy from a metabolic standpoint. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather have dinner with my whole family at 830 than have dinner at six and be eating by myself. So I agree. So we have a late dinner and gather together as a family. And typically, you know, prior to that dinner, I'm just making sure there's any last, you know, what I've, well, I'm hanging out with my kids and then getting my workout in, you know, inevitably some emails and phone calls and stuff pile up. So I like to, to just slip down to the office before dinner and take care of any, any last minute fires. And then, uh, go upstairs. We have dinner as a family and, uh, typically dinner. I, I save all my carbohydrates for the end of the day. I've found that I sleep much better from that serotonin release of an evening refeed 
my workouts the next day are much better because I'm restoring glycogen levels. I'm still able to tap into fatty acids and stay in a relative state of ketosis most of the day leading up to dinner. And then with dinner, you know, I'll have sweet potatoes and white rice or yams or, you know, dark chocolate, red wine, whatever it is that we happen to have. And plus that, that type of approach is really conducive too to just eating socially at night. Like in a Western culture, a lot of times you find yourself at restaurants in the evening or with friends and, you know, you don't want to be that guy who's like, you know, just spooning a stick full of butter into your mouth because that's all you could find at the restaurant in the evenings. And so I'm, I'm a little bit, I still eat very healthy. I choose very uh, digestible carbohydrates. I don't do a lot of a lot of breads. I don't do a lot of processed starches and sugars. But you know, I'll eat quinoa or amaranth or millet or like a good slow fermented sourdough uh, or like I mentioned, you know, tubers. Anything from taro to sweet potato to yam to carrot to parsnip to beet to red wine to dark chocolate. And so dinner is usually some kind of vegetable, some kind of carb, typically like a good wild caught fish or organic meat. Uh, a lot of times my kids are pitching in with mom because they, they actually have a podcast. They have a cooking podcast and they love to cook. So sometimes if, if I'm not busy that night, I lend a hand. I like to cook as well, as you mentioned earlier. And, um, I just think it's a really great way to develop a relationship with food. So we all cook dinner and then, uh, we eat dinner. And like I mentioned, we eat late. So after dinner, like the kids kind of head up to bed. I play them a little bit of guitar or ukulele. Um, I try to read a book a day. And so I'll typically head to bed soon after them, but kind of curl up in bed with a good book and uh, read myself to sleep and uh, wake up the next morning and, and do it again. That's amazing. I, I guess the midday workout is sort of a, an effective way of countering the fact that you tend to be less insulin sensitive later in the day you know, when the sun goes down and melatonin levels start to creep up. That's a yeah. very good point. That evening carbohydrate refeed should be couched with the, or, or should be couched in terms of the idea that you're working out near the end of the day and you're relatively insulin sensitive going into that evening meal. I think that if you've decided you're going to, let's say, top off your glycogen stores or refill your glycogen stores at lunch or breakfast instead, you might actually be better off um, either doing like a, a brief like kettlebell workout to increase your insulin sensitivity earlier in the day and then eating less carbohydrates at night um, or using some kind of an approach that that kind of injects insulin sensitivity into whichever window that you've chosen to eat the majority of your carbs for the day. Yeah, there was a study that just came out. They called it exercise snacking, just taking brief bouts of, uh, you know, whether it's doing just a couple of push-ups or going up the flight of stairs, you know, or maybe doing a chair pose actually can uh, markedly improve insulin sensitivity throughout the day. You know, we live in, a, in an era where obviously there's an epidemic of uh, sedentary lifestyles and sitting. And so it's, I think, empowering for people to know that just, you know, small, brief bouts of exercise can do a lot in terms of your ability to process glucose. Oh, I, I would take that one step further and say that unless you're a pro athlete or unless you've decided that you're going to scratch the itch of slaying a dragon by going out to train for a marathon or do a triathlon or, you know, compete in CrossFit regionals or, you know, do an obstacle race or something like that, that exercise isn't even necessary at the end of the day 
if you can hack your environment to engage in low level physical activity throughout the day and you can take these movement snacks and maybe you've got a whatever, maybe a hex bar somewhere near your office that you can do a few heavy lifts with during the day or a kettlebell that you can swing or a pull up bar that you can pull from. I mean, you can get to the end of the day and find yourself having kind of simulated a hunter gatherer gardener, farmer-esque life, even if you're relegated to a, you know, to a computer workstation. And if you do all that and you kind of do that 20 to 30 minutes of fasted exercise early in the day, kind of before you head off to work, like you can maintain pretty good levels of fitness, uh, metabolism, uh, cardiovascular health, et cetera, without necessarily doing like a formal hard workout at the end of the day. And I mean, when you look at a lot of these blue zones where people are living a disproportionately long period of time, You'll find that many of them don't necessarily exercise in the same way that, that we kind of do these like boxed exercise or, you know, kind of kind of packaged exercise sessions uh, because we've been sitting on our asses for eight hours and feel that urge to. And so I think that uh, that even, you know, with these movement snacks uh, that you just alluded to during the day, the idea of a hard workout at the end of the day becomes less and less necessary again, unless you're kind of competing for an event or, or training yeah. for an event. What are some tricks that you use to, um, to sleep optimally? I've actually heard from a, a mutual friend of, of ours, uh, Craig Clemens, who was actually also on the podcast that you have a pretty funny ritual when you are checking into a hotel to sort of prep the room for optimal sleep. So I'm wondering what, uh, you know, what some of your, your go-to hacks are for improving sleep, which we all know is, is so important. Number one would be masturbation. I mean, it just <laughs> cannot be, cannot beat that <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. Pun intended. Uh, sleep. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, normal sleep hygiene is something a lot of folks can wrap their heads around, but I just find most folks don't implement it. I mean, whether I'm at home or whether I'm traveling, if the lights are off and I walk into the room and it looks like a Christmas tree, from the little light blinking on the TV and the light blinking on whatever you might have your laptop plugged into and the Wi-Fi router blinking, et cetera. I mean, we know that the skin has, it has photoreceptors like melanopsin um, and neuropsin in it. And these can actually receive light cues, even if your eyes are closed or even if you're wearing a sleep mask. So light can disrupt sleep, even if you can't see it because your skin is basically a giant eye. So, I travel with these little stickers. They're LED light blocking stickers. Uh, they're called light dims. You can buy them on Amazon. When I go into a hotel room, I'll just cover up anything that produces light or unplug it. Um, you know, at my house, I, I keep the Wi-Fi router completely off during the day and the night. I just use an Ethernet cable to plug into the to the Wi-Fi router. But you know, in a hotel room, if the Wi-Fi router does happen to be in there, unplug that at night as well. Um, so light's a big one. And of course I travel with a really good sleep mask. I use one that was originally developed for psychedelic trip protocols, like, you know, an LSD trip or, or something where you'd want to do like a journey, but it also works really well for just blocking out all light. It's called the mindfold mask. So I put on a really good sleep mask, a complete absence of light, uh, whether it's a hotel room or at home, I set the room temp to 64 to 65 degrees because your body cools, you get more melatonin release, more nervous system repair and recovery when the core temp is low as you sleep. Sometimes I have to call up the hotel, uh, uh engineer to override the AC because many hotels won't let you go lower than like 70 or 68. So sometimes it requires a quick phone call to the front desk, but you get your, your room temp down pretty low. And at home, I take that one step further 
and I sleep on something called a chili pad, which circulates cold water under your body while you're asleep. Which is, is your wife really okay nice. with that? Yeah, because it does like it, you can barely feel it. We can still, you know, have sex and snuggle and hang out in bed, but the, the pad underneath me, I can just set that to whatever temp I want. And she has, she actually has a pad on her side too. I got her, I got her one. She just doesn't use it. So, uh, so yeah, she's okay with it. You, you can, you barely even notice it. You flip it on. And the only thing that happens is I'm just more cool as I sleep, but it's not like this big clunky thing that disrupts the bed. Like, you know, I've got some friends who like sleep in a Faraday cage and a Faraday sleeping bag and all these crazy things to block dirty electricity, but it just destroys the feng shui of the bedroom. And, you know, and, and my wife would just, she'd kill me if, if she had to crawl inside a Faraday sleeping bag with me to, to, to get down for the night. So I, I draw the line at a certain point, but these chili pads, like you don't even notice them. Like they're just underneath the sheets. So, um, so yeah, the, uh, a nice cool room. That's key. Um, it's the same reason I take a cold shower at some point after that evening workout, just to cool the body's, the body's temperature. I don't take an ice bath cause that blunts the hormetic response to exercise and, and it, it shuts down inflammation too much, but a quick cold shower just to decrease the body's core temperature. That's fine. That's way different than like going to a cryotherapy chamber or, or, or doing an ice bath. Uh, not that those things don't have benefits. It's just that right after a workout, uh, it's not a good time for those practices. So the room's cold. Uh, it's dark. Uh, it's quiet too. I, I always travel with foam earplugs. When I'm at home, I just put in foam earplugs, and sometimes I I have an app on my phone called Sleep Stream. It's almost like a DJ for sleep. It uh, allows you to like play white noise or pink noise or brown noise or anything that kind of covers up. You know, like we have roosters, for example. I don't want to hear them in the morning, and I can hear them even through my foam earplugs when that noise isn't on, you know, same thing if you're in a busy urban area where there's lots of cars, et cetera, or you're staying at a hotel and there's some kind of a party in the room above you or whatever. So silence is pretty important. And I actually, when I travel, I even wear headphones while I sleep, like noise blocking headphones to block the sounds even more and play the white noise. The other thing that I like about sleep stream is it can also allow you to play binaural beats. So binaural beats can kind of lull your body into a state of like Delta brainwave production or theta brainwave production or whatever you kind of set them on for a night of sleep. So I'm a big fan of just not allowing noise to disrupt you. You know, I'm a light sleeper as it is, which is probably why I do some of these things. I've just found that I sleep that much better. I would imagine like in ancestral times, I probably would have been genetically programmed from a, you know, COMT gene standpoint to be like a sentinel or what we would call like a, like a worrier, like that person who's pretty good at staying up at night to protect the camp. But you know, when you don't have to protect the camp and you just need to sleep well, so you can get up in the morning to speak or work or whatever, uh, that, that gene can kind of backfire on you. So I keep everything pretty quiet. Uh, and then what else? I really like clean air. So at my home, it's not an issue because I have a central HEPA air filter called an Aller Air. But I will actually call the hotel and not only have them bring a mini fridge to the room because I like to drink really good glass bottled water rather than tap water or like the, the man boob generating plastic water that the hotels have. But if they have a mini fridge in the room, I literally like anywhere I travel, I just have the Uber stop over. You know, I, I usually will tip the Uber or I'll grab them a quick snack inside and I'll, I'll run into Whole Foods or Safeway or whatever and just grab a bunch of Pellegrino you know, and, uh, usually some little snacks like, you know, macadamia nuts or, 
um, you know, avocados, sardines, stuff like that. But it's always helpful to have a little fridge in the room. So I'll call the front desk beforehand and make sure they have a mini fridge there in my room. That has nothing to do with nothing to do with sleep. It just helps you from a nutritional standpoint. Um, do you actually tape up the areas around the blinds where light can potentially seep through? I heard you actually bring tape to hotel. No, you don't do that. Okay. No, no, I don't do that. I have those little LED light blocking stickers. What what I found with the curtains is you just take the coat hanger out of the closet uh, in the hotel room and you close the curtains. And you know, there's always that little gap between the curtains that light streams through. <laughs> yes. when you're trying to sleep. Use a little coat hanger or two of them to close that gap, and it works perfectly. Okay. So. So yeah, so that, that works out just fine. You know, at home I have, of course, blackout curtains, but, uh, at a hotel you can just use that trick. Um, so we've got light, we've got darkness, uh, we've got, uh, lack of sound, um, nice cool room. And, uh, the only other thing that I would be cognizant of would be the air quality. Um, many hotels also, the, a lot of people don't realize this. They have HEPA air filters, like maintenance will have HEPA air filters and they can bring one of those to your room if you ask. And so you can get really good clean air because the, you know, the maids, they use in most cases, some pretty harsh cleaning chemicals. You know, at our house, we use like lemon essential oil and thieves essential oil and vinegar and oregano to clean our house. But, you know, they use chemical cocktails at most hotels. So you can actually have them bring a HEPA air filter to your room and set that up and vastly improves the air quality. And I actually suggest also, uh, and, and a lot of times hotels, they, they don't care about this. I mean, you're, you know, you, you, you slip whoever they keep sending up to the room with this stuff of five and, you know, they're, they're usually more than happy to, to do this. But the other thing you can ask for is a humidifier. Uh, the combination of a humidifier and a HEPA air filter just makes sleep so much better in these like dry, like chemically hotel rooms. So, um, so yeah, I mean, between the mini fridge, the HEPA air filter and the freaking uh, humidifier, you know, your, your, your hotel room becomes littered with all these toys that the front desk is bringing you, but you'd be surprised at how accommodating a lot of hotels will be. And dude, I mean, I don't mind being that customer because for me, a good night of sleep is, is crucial for my productivity the next day. And I, I'm very straightforward with the hotel. I'll just tell them, Hey, a humidifier helps me to sleep better. I don't sleep that well when the air is dry. Do you happen to have a humidifier you could bring up? I'd greatly appreciate it. You know, and, and a lot of times they're, they're very accommodating. So, so yeah, you can definitely kind of, kind of hack your hotel sleep with a few little things. It's incredible, man. You are such a wealth of knowledge and interesting little hacks and tricks and tactics. It's just, uh, I feel like we could go on and on and on for multiple hours, but we're almost out of time. So I'm going to ask you one last question, the question that I ask to everybody that joins me on the Genius Life podcast. But before we get to that, Mr. Ben Greenfield, you are the man. How can uh, listeners get in touch with you and read your blogs, articles, podcast? Like where, you know, how can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, if you want to find it, you know, I've, gosh, I've been doing this for like 12 years now. So pretty much anytime you, you want to look up a topic uh, for a podcast I've recorded or an article I've written, let's say sleep, just Google, you know, like Ben Greenfield sleep or Ben Greenfield coconut oil or, you know, Ben Greenfield stem cells or whatever. And you'll find most of the work I've done on any of those matters. And then if you want to try out any of the supplement formulations I've developed, my the, the bar that I make, the, the coffee I produce, any of that, that's all at my company, Keon. And that's at getkeon.com, get K-I-O-N.com. 
That's amazing. Um, and also, you guys, I was very recently on Ben's uh, podcast, Ben Greenfield Fitness. All you got to do is go to YouTube or wherever you listen to a podcast, search Ben Greenfield Fitness. What was the name of our podcast again? It was How Ketogenic, How a Ketogenic Diet Can... Something like that. Oh, Some, hell if I know. You've been on the podcast twice, actually, because we talked yeah. about Breadhead. Yeah. And then we talked about... Uh, yeah. I, Genius we, Foods. We, uh, yeah, it was Genius Foods, but yeah, it was a really good show. Like uh, For those of you listening, if you haven't, I would imagine most of you have read Max's book, but if you haven't read Genius Foods yet, and I'm not just blowing smoke, uh, you, you should read it. Like It's a really good book, and Max and I geeked out on it for a while on my show. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was called like How a High-Fat Diet Can Hurt Your Brain or something like that. Obviously, uh, you know, we get into the nuance of that statement in the episode, and Ben is in a, a you know... This whole time he was the interviewee, but he's also a very masterful interviewer. So make sure that you check out his podcast. He is uh, great and an inspiration. So last question, Ben, what does it mean to you to live like a genius? Uh, gut response to that is this. We were all placed on this planet for a purpose. We all have a unique skill set. We all have a quest in life that we were put here to fulfill. We can all leave this world a better place than it was when we arrived. And part of that involves being able to clearly identify your purpose in life. My purpose in life in one sentence is to empower people to live a more joyful, adventurous, and fulfilling life. To empower people to live a more joyful, adventurous, and fulfilling life. And uh, to me, living a genius life involves equipping yourself using every method possible, legally and ethically, to allow your body and brain to operate to the extent to which you are able to fulfill your purpose to the maximum possible level that you can, to change as many lives as possible, whether you're an artist or a mathematician or an astronaut or a health researcher or a nurse or a taxi cab driver, no matter what, you have a purpose in life and you can change a lot of other people's lives. So I think living a genius life means going out of your way to take care of your body and your brain, being an anomaly, defying the status quo of what it means to truly operate uh, at, at the real peak capacity of what a human body and brain is capable of. And if you combine that, just, just making smart choices and healthy choices and listening to podcasts like this to get the tips that allow you to do that, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, you can identify your purpose in life clearly in one single succinct statement. You are all of a sudden not only equipped, but incredibly mindful and aware of your ability to change this world and to make it a better place. And in my opinion, that's what living a genius life means. Ooh, can I get a witness? That was awesome, man. I uh, couldn't agree more. Ben Greenfield, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for being here. And Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. And to all of you guys out there listening in podcast land, I will catch you on the next episode of The Genius Life. Peace.